This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, guys? It's Jake here. Before we get to today's podcast where we'll talk about what's ahead with the Pittsburgh Steelers this weekend, we're going to talk real quick about a show that's out on the Blue Wire Network that I think you'll be interested in. Abner Mars is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Mars, we'll finally hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man that he is today. On the podcast, they chat about Many different topics, including the state of boxing, Abner's journey from a kid on the streets to boxing champion, his American dream, sports, music, culture, and family life, and many more. And he just recorded a podcast with LL Cool J that I think you guys would be particularly interested in. So check that out. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Mars wherever you get your podcasts. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays. Check it out and check out many other great Blue Wire Network podcasts. Now, let's get to today's show. Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. What a beautiful throw by the Baker. Big job! Hasta la vista, baby! OBR Film Breakdown Podcast, your host, Jake Burns. We are going to talk about a bevy of topics with the Steelers and have a fun interview that I recorded with the uh, Renegade Blitz podcast over there with the guys in Pittsburgh, and uh, I think it'll be enjoyable for everybody to hear uh, a little bit of a little crossover stuff there with, you know, where the Browns are, where the Steelers are, all that fun stuff. So you know, before we get to that, we are going to, we're going to talk about kind of the general crux of where Pittsburgh is. They're 4-0. Uh, wins over teams that are not all too competitive when you look at their record so far. The Giants, uh, the Broncos, Texans, all of which have each won. Uh, the Giants are winless. Otherwise, the other two there are, have won one game, and Philly has also won one game. So not, you know, not all too challenging in terms of overall uh, schedule. And, you know, they only beat Houston by a touchdown. They only beat Denver by a touchdown. Giants by 10. And then the Philadelphia score is 38-29, but... You know, certainly seemed a lot closer than that if you were watching it live. Uh, looking at their offense, Ben Roethlisberger's back from his elbow surgery, playing good football, 100 of 143, which is a 70% completion percentage, 1,016 yards, 10 touchdowns, one interception. Same guy you've grown up uh, knowing. Uh, it's been around forever. Still extending plays, still delivering football quickly. Uh, and, and really, they have a, a different offense than you're probably accustomed to seeing. They do a lot of flat motion. I talk about this on the interview with Matt Canada as the – uh, tweak to their offensive approach. If you recall him, he was at Maryland uh, most recently, 
running a, a ton of different flat motion, jet motion, deception schemes. He's added that to their offense. So that will be fun to uh, to track there. James Connors, their running back still. Benny Snell gets a lot of carries as well. Um, Connor, 55 for 268, three touchdowns. Snell, 36 for 148. Both have been pretty quiet in the reception game um, out of the backfield. So not a big threat catching the football in the backfield running backs, which have given the Browns some trouble uh, over the years. 11 catches, 82 yards is all for James Conner. One catch uh, for a four-yard loss for Snell. So not all too dangerous there. Where they do get dangerous, just like Dallas, this is probably the, the deepest wide receiver group that we have seen uh, since Dallas. Not as good as Dallas's top three, but still a very good group. Juju Smith-Schuster uh, back rolling this year. Uh, he's gone 21 catches on 24 targets for a buck 88 and three touchdowns. Chase Claypool had a you know, I would consider a breakout game for a rookie. Uh, he went 13 catches on 20 targets total for the year, 261, four touchdowns, and had all four touchdowns last week. So he is riding high right now. Uh, they also have Deontay Johnson, Toledo product, who's been dinged up this year, missed last week. He has gone uh, 15 for 147 touchdown. He's trending toward playing this week. Also still have James Washington, who's gone 13 catches for 117 and um, a touchdown for him as well. And then lastly, they added a nice tight end weapon, Eric Ebron, 14-156, and a touchdown. So, you know, they go five deep. And even Ray-Ray McLeod, who they use as sort of a gimmick player, uh, reverses things of that nature. I think he had a long 58-yard reverse last week against the Eagles. They're very deep across the skill position group. You know, they can go five deep in receiver talent. You know, James Conner's not – the, the most elusive back in the backfield, but he's a power guy who can who can run some of those schemes when they want to see him run. So, like I said, as far as maybe overall depth of skill position players, you know, including Ebron at tight end, who's a dangerous weapon, and Vance McDonald is still a part of things that they do as well. You know, he has six catches, 45 yards. This is a challenge. This will be a real, a real challenge for the Browns, uh, how they're able to handle that. Uh, that situation up front David DeCastro is trending toward being out this week he has an abdominal issue which would help uh, Cleveland obviously in my opinion because you no know, DeCastro is one of the better offensive guards in the entire NFL and the Browns are dealing with some injuries up front there and it looks like Larry Ogunjobi is going to play but the Browns could use every advantage they could get it seems like Pouncey's going to be back so uh, for the most part Pittsburgh will be relatively healthy up front but still with with Feeler and uh, an aging Villanueva, they're, they're certainly vulnerable. So they know they have to get rid of the football quickly. I think that'll be a key for Pittsburgh is, is making sure that Roethlisberger, unlike Phil Rivers last week, is not affected by pressure and makes you know those mistakes that the Browns' defense has been capitalizing on. So, um, yeah, that's going to be a point of emphasis, certainly, for Pittsburgh to take care of the football in Cleveland to try to pressure and uh, help out their linebacker safeties uh, avoid those sort of uh, coverage vulnerabilities that they've shown in the first the first five weeks of the season so we'll keep our eye on that that'll be kind of the pivot of this game is much like the Browns defense has been in every game this year how they how they're able to create turnovers to offset the uh the passing yards that they seem to be giving up due to uh you know most teams have been trailing the Browns offense which just put out points early so they've, they've had to defend the pass quite a bit and um you know that's that's a big way they've been able to offset, like I said, some pass yards allowed is, is, is creating some of those sack turnovers and interception turnovers from pressures and things of that nature. Before we get to the Steelers' defense, going to talk to you about Indeed. Even though there's a break in sports, I keep telling you guys the world is continuing to move, as you know, and we got to make sure that Indeed is, uh, is there to help and you know that. Indeed is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other job sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, 
Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are there and shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire that you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed's offering listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see your post and see it fast. Try Indeed out with that free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions do apply. Offer valid through December 31st. So now we shift to the defense. We're just going to talk about it real quick before we go over to our interview and Listen, the group is really good. They get after the passer. They've had a sack in like 61 straight games. They have, uh, you know, they obviously are the, the highest volume pressure package group in the entire NFL, and they stop the run effectively. They play a unique 3-4. Devin Bush is in his second year at linebacker. Vince Williams, all the names that you're accustomed to hearing. You know, Terrell Edmonds back at safety. Minka Fitzpatrick back at, in the safety group as well. T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree come off the edges. You know, both of those guys have four and a half sacks for Watt, three sacks for Bud Dupree. Stephon Tuitt is anchoring the middle. Uh, Hargrave obviously left for Philadelphia, but Tyson Alualu has done a nice job up front for them as well. Like I said, Tuitt is anchoring that group as well. Cam Hayward's an all-pro interior defensive player. We all know that name from the Buckeye days. And then Joe Hayden and Mike Hilton are, are anchoring the corner position, doing what they need to. Steven Nelson, obviously an active part of that as well. And... Um, you know, they, they generate so much pressure that they, they, they're able to create turnovers and create advantageous situations for their secondary because quarterbacks are so flustered when, you know, when the pressure arrives and all that stuff. So um, it's a good group. It's a group that I'm worried about how Baker Mayfield's able to handle them because they're, you know, like I said, they're the ultimate pressure group that will put, you know, guys up in your face, you know, and they, they will obviously switch up and change up coverages from pre-snap to post-snap, which we know Baker does not handle all too well. So, um you know, they're they're. I would say that they're playing pretty good football, all things considered. In a difficult year for defenses, a group that's been together, um, consistently played together, and it would not be, um, in my opinion, all too affected by uh, the COVID structure. Now they've given up points, they've given up passing yards. Uh, I think I'm trying to check the data as we kind of go through this thing uh, as quickly as we possibly can. On defense, they have given up, like I said, you know, they've given up over 200 yards each week. Passing the football, they've only given up one 100-yard rusher. They did give up 94 but last week to Philly, but one was on a long running play and really shut it down. They had a 75-yard Miles Sanders run and then shut it down after that. But um, they, their primary goal, and they have two weeks of only giving up 29 rushing yards in each game, so their primary goal is to um, you know, stop the run and then make you have to throw. And you know, if you're, tra- if you're trailing, like most teams have been trailing Pittsburgh, you're, you're forced into pigeonhole, and they, they let that pressure from both of their edges and their interior guys change the outcome. So whoever gets up early in this game, it's going to be imperative to jump out to a lead because it just completely changes the defensive structure. Pittsburgh has created a turnover in every game. Three of their four games have been uh, two turnovers in each. So in uh, one game with just one turnover, but nonetheless, uh, they're creating them. They've, they're pretty fresh coming off of bye week, week four. Their bye week got bumped up from week seven due to Tennessee's COVID issues. So like I said, not many guys are going to be missing. They're a healthy team, and it's going to be a really interesting challenge for the Browns. So uh, let's not waste any more time, though. I think we got some really good information coming up in this interview. So let's jump to that interview with the Renegade Blitz podcast, guys. And we're joined by Jake Burns, film analyst and writer for the Orange and Brown Report. Jake, thanks for coming on. My pleasure, fellas. Exciting week. I'm happy to be here. 
always exciting whenever it's Browns week. Uh, but Jake, before we get into our discussion about the Browns, we want to get to know you a little bit. Uh, how did you get into doing film study for the Browns? Uh, do you have a background as a coach? Because your content yeah, so, is very so, well done. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. First of all, uh, it's uh, it's it's a thing that I noticed. Yeah, I did coach and I played and um, you know small college football, D three college football, and I. I uh, have been fascinated by the X's and O's playing quarterback for years. It's just always kind of come as a relatively easy thing for me. And notice that nobody was, you know, and <laughs> you guys don't know, but if you, if you, if you talk to anybody from the Cleveland Browns, it's been a struggle. So you're trying to find the limelight, especially in the times when I started doing this in 2017, there wasn't much positive to talk about. And I just kind of noticed that everybody was complaining. It was obvious some things, why they were going wrong, but the how, situation who was at blame why it was being done incorrectly etc etc was not something that people understood so my goal when I started this was to figure out why it's a situation that's a problem that kind of stuff I was lucky enough that nobody was really doing it at the time so I decided to pick it up in 2017 and it's taken off it's done really well and it's a popular niche across Twitter these days as you guys know you guys have some folks who do the great stuff film room stuff for the Steelers so you know at the same time I was noticing no one was doing it for the Browns. So I saw an opportunity to sort of jump in and, and take advantage of a fan base. that's always hungry for football understanding. And in that nature, um, you know, was able to, to give that to people. And it's, it's taken me pretty far in the industry. It's helped me do a lot of fun things. It's given me a nice side job and uh, I'm grateful for that. But there's, you know, there's a ton of people across the NFL who just want to understand football and listen to people who have a decent understanding and try to portray that understanding. And, and uh, it's a good community. It's a good group of people, and uh, it's it's been it's been nice change of pace this year to, to to watch some football that's been quality. That's for sure. Let's talk about that a little bit. The Browns ultimately succumbed to the hype of last season through that off season in 2019, going six and ten and firing Freddie Kitchens. How has Kevin Stefanski managed to get them on the right track and have them come into this game four and one? I would say a big part of things, guys, is attention to detail. I think that the Browns have been a, a group of guys who, especially last year when they had the really strong close to 2018, you bring in a sharp name like Odell, you bring in some other little variables and uh, and hire a coach who everybody thought was on the cutting edge of play calling there at the end of 2018. And it's a group of guys who kind of got full of themselves and stopped paying attention to the little things that matter in winning football games, discipline within penalty situations, you know, discipline schematically, uh, putting in the time and effort it takes leading into a game uh, and, and certainly leading into a season. Those sorts of things, I think we're all there. I think that, that there's been sort of rumblings between the group, whether it's, you know, offensive or defensive leaders with that, with that group last year, that there was just a level of we're going to, we're going to win games because of our names or because of things we've done in the past, whether individually in college or guys who have performed well at the NFL level, such as Jarvis and Odell and, and that nature. And, there just was a there was a complete gloss over of what it took to form cohesion, what it took to form a team, what it took discipline wise to win football games against teams that matter, teams that are actually uh, of substance. And then you play in the AFC North, there are two teams that are continually good, as as we're going to talk about. And you have to be able to not just be individually competent football players, but you have to have that ability, that cohesion, that tie it together. And lack of a better word, it's tied togetherness. Uh, to, to make it all come together. And I think that is a level of what Kevin Stefanski has brought, which is maturity, uh, the ability to get young men and a coaching staff to buy into his vision. You know, you talk so often about coaches that fail and they, they lose the locker room and 
when you think about losing the locker room, you talk about losing players. It's not always players. It's you lose your coaching staff. And I think that's happened with the last few Browns coaches. This is a guy who's done a little bit different. I think so far all we've seen is the ability to handle a coaching staff and it trickles down to the players and it's putting a more cohesive product on the field. So uh, the, the hype got them last year, but I think they've, they've grounded themselves. They've understood they got to take their lumps in the offseason and they've come out hungry and, and won games here. Uh, four in a row that, that that they should have won, to be quite honest with you guys. So I, I think this is a really, really fun test coming up. I would say a fun test for both teams coming up on Sunday. Yeah, and Jake, you know, the Browns coming in this game, uh, four and one for the first time since uh, 1994 when Bill Belichick is the head coach. Uh, just, you know, just shows how, how long it's been to the, since the Browns have been this good, really, and, you know, uh, potential playoff uh uh, team coming up here uh, in January. You know, the, the Browns, they haven't made the playoffs since 2002 and uh, haven't had a winning season since 2007. Uh, with the extra playoff spot, how confident are you in this team finally getting through and in the future and uh, cons- consistently making playoff trips? Look, man, we've lost so long, I'm never confident. I'm never confident. <laughs> Look, you, I'm serious, though. Like, 2001 was the last year they made the playoffs, and I was a seventh grader, man. Like, I don't know. I was I was obviously born in 89. I was five years old in 94. I mean, I, I didn't know the great late 80s run. I didn't really know Belichick's too young. I mean, I remember seeing it, but I don't, you don't know. You're so young. And since they've come back, they had one good year, their second, third, sorry, their third year back in 01. And then they tied together a decent year in 2007 that just fell apart the year after. And then they had a finally decent year in 04, or sorry, 2014. But then Kyle Shanahan, you figured out, was the root of all of that success for the most part. And he leaves and takes another job, and it all falls apart again. So we have not known any consistent success, not even single-year success, really, guys, uh, over a long haul. So I'm never very confident. I have to see it. It's always – it is always, always, always see it to believe it in Cleveland because – there have been some flashes that have happened, not in the past five. It's been a really rough six years since 2014. I mean, it's been rough. It's been, there was Cleveland rough before that, and it's been rough as they tore it all down and tried to build it all back up. And it's been a rough run to this point, but they finally, I can just judge what I've seen. They finally look like they have a competent GM and a structure with a head coach and people that understand each other and an organizational vision finally that does look like it has the ability to to have some sustainable long-term success does that mean it comes to fruition there are elements that have to prove themselves such as the quarterback position has to prove himself there are positions defensively that they're very young at that have to prove themselves they're off to a fun start four and one is great it's it's something we haven't seen in cleveland in a substantial amount of time an actual game against pittsburgh that matters right this is something that we haven't seen in a long time and everyone's excited, but there are levels of uh, a lot of levels. You guys still need to figure out a way to prove this. And um, and then, like I said, this is a crucial game for Cleveland. And as far as the first eight go, it's the most important game on their schedule. You have to go back to the 1980s with Marty Schottenheimer as head coach for mm-hmm. the last time the Browns made multiple trips to the playoffs. But getting back to the present, the biggest battle for the game is the Browns' top-ranked rushing attack versus the league's number two rush defense in the Steelers. It seems like the offensive line has improved a lot with the additions at tackle, left tackle, Jarek Willis Jr., and right tackle, Jack Conklin, from everyone's hated right now, the Titans. (laughs) Cameron Hayward had had this to say about the tackles, quote, they're mean, nasty guys that finish plays. That's what you want out of your tackles, end quote. You agree with that statement? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, Cam is a guy that we in Ohio respect like crazy. Uh, you know, kind of an Ohio State Buckeye and one of the one of the great ones in his generation of guys that went through. And, and Cam is is fantastic for him to say that about Jed, who's a young tackle that we we feel really good about up here in Cleveland. And obviously, Jack Conklin is just such a fit for the zone blocking scheme that they're using. I think that's a pretty spot-on analysis. Jed is still going through rookie growing pains. There's no doubt about that. Those things are still happening to him here and there. But as far as pass-blocking efficiency, he's fantastic. Is getting there in the run game the way Bill Callahan expects his tackle to be, especially a backside tackle? Um, Not a perfect product, but getting there. But there are certainly, guys, a step up, large step up from Greg Robinson and, uh, and Chris Hubbard, who you guys are familiar with from his time with Pittsburgh, a big step up. And Chris Hubbard's a nice swing rotational tackle. Certainly not a guy that they wanted to start anymore. Chris actually, uh, to talk about this offensive line a little bit deeper, took over last week at right guard because Wyatt Teller left with the calf strain. Now, as far as the interior of this offensive line goes, center and guard have always been really good for the Browns, dating back to Alex Mack. They brought in J.C. Treader, who's been uh, the NFLPA president, who's been a fantastic addition on and off the field for this organization. And Joel Batonio has been around since 2014. Both great players, Pro Bowl caliber players. Now, Wyatt Teller, they traded for Wyatt at the beginning of last year, and um, he did not start really coming into the right guard role until midseason to late season. Started to catch on. Everybody was excited about his prospect. Was playing the highest graded football in both phases along the offensive line, like a 94.6 pro football focus grade. And not just looking at data, but I'm watching film, as you guys know, and he was playing fantastic football. Now he is out this week, it appears. It is trending toward its day-to-day is what they say but that calf strain likely to keep him out. And that means Chris Hubbard will probably continue to start at right guard. But as far as the group goes, they just faced Indy's number one rush defense in the league. And Indy, the Colts play some physical, physical defense along their defensive front and, and, and really, really get after you uh, in, in containing the run game, which is, which is really impressive. If you watch Indy, if you go back, if anybody listens to your podcast or, or hears me talk, go back and watch Brown's game last week. They get after it. There are seven guys and they'll roll an eighth guy into the box and they get after it. And the Browns are still able to put up 124 on them. So they're, they're doing a lot of things. Well, they're mixing up schemes, wide zone, tight zone, duo stuff up front uh, straight up sort of ISO blocking on occasion. And then they'll do the gap stuff that they're doing really well. And they'll pull their linemen. Um, obviously they'll pull both guards. They'll pull the center and they pull their tackles too. So they're doing a variety of different things, making it, uh, uncomfortable on defensive fronts to just plan on a certain scheme coming all the time. They'll gap down on you when you're expecting to run laterally. When you're trying to pinch down on gaps, they'll just trade you off and run zone. So they're doing a wide variety of things. The fantastic thing for me to watch will be, you know, Pittsburgh is not just a force Buckner and a bunch of guys who are playing hard. It's, it's genuine talent with Cam and TJ and Dupree and uh, obviously a bevy of talent that Pittsburgh has in the box. So it'll be really fascinating to watch how they handle what I think Pittsburgh does some unique things in that three, four, two. So it'll be a, it'll be a great strength on strength matchup in my opinion. And the Browns, they had that, uh, you know, the duo and Nick Chubb and uh, Kareem Hunt at running back, but uh, Chubb is on IR right now and we'll miss miss this game. But uh, Hunt has filled in uh, really well. And he looks like how he was when he was in uh, Kansas city a, a couple of years ago. Um, how's he managed to continue the Browns uh, strong play from the running back position? It's a, it's a good point. He is, he is extremely effective. Again, he's effective in the pass game. They'll motion him out a ton. So you'll see them this week, bring him in the, you know, they'll come out three by one, two by two in the gun and motion him out to unfold coverage. You know, if they send the linebacker out with him, you're probably getting a form of man. If they send a corner out with him, they're going to probably play zone. They love 
Uh, you'll see with the Browns offense, they love to zone, they love to motion. And I know the Steelers are crazy about Matt Canada, who I love too from his time in Maryland. He loves to run motion stuff too, a little bit different variety. Matt Canada is more of a, a motion on the snap guy, and, and Cleveland's more of a motion and get settled type of team. Uh, let the processing come from those things. So uh, just a different way, but they will motion a ton. So they'll put Kareem in, in, in the slot. They'll put him out wide. They'll put him in the backfield. They'll put him in the gun with them. They do a ton of different things, and Kareem's doing a nice job, has responded well to an increased role. Now he's dealing with a little bit of a growing that he was dealing with the, in going into the Dallas game. He still carried a bulk of the carries and caught the football well against Indy. I think he's fine. He says he's fine. He's a warrior type of guy in terms of his football mentality. So he'll get a lion's share of the carries. They have two young guys they like, the Ernest Johnson, who had a nice game against Dallas, about 13 carries, 95 yards. I'm pretty sure, guys, though, I could have run for about 95 against Dallas. I'm not trying to knock anybody. <laughs> they're playing terrible. But he's, he's a nice little shifty runner, has the same sort of – he's not Alvin Kamara by any stretch of the imagination, doesn't add that level of, of pass-catching ability and contact balance, but it's a similar running style, a similar look. Uh, as far as a player body style goes. So he's not, he's, he's good in the scheme. He's got some ability to make a man miss. He's a nice one cut player who can see sort of next level. Um, you know, if I make this linebacker bust outside, I can cut back up inside in the scheme. He's okay. Then they have Dontrell Hilliard, who's been around for a few years. So, you know, you're missing Nick Chubb, who was playing some of the best football, I think, in the NFL. That always hurts. There's no doubt about that, especially the ability to mix up speeds with Kareem and Nick. And, and that's, uh, that's something Browns fans are hoping to see is, is Nick return after the bye week or something along those week 10, 11, 12 area from that MRI or that MCL sprain. But uh, for now, they still have a guy who's very, very competent in the backfield is playing good football, but uh, they're certainly shorthanded between Teller and, and Chubb. They're, they're shorthanded in their approach in the run game. They're not at full speed, but it is still, it is still a pretty good unit. Last week, the Eagles showed that you can get a big play against the Steelers run defense. Uh, Miles Sanders, Woodland Hills product from around here. Scored a 74-yard touchdown, but after that, he was held to 80 yards on a day. Well, and I know that Kareem is a guy that that he's also a pass catcher threat out of the backfield, kind of a little bit how, how on previous podcasts we were mentioned with Sanders' ability. That That's kind of been a thing with, with running backs against the Steelers this year. They're not going to get much in the running game, but out of the backfield, and certainly that's something that Kareem can do. He's more of a 100 yards from scrimmage guy than a 100 yards rushing totally guy like Chubb. Without a doubt, Kareem prides himself on being able to catch the football and be multifaceted. I mean, he had no choice, guys. He came into the league and he's catching Pat Mahomes. I mean, like you're just you're just going to have to get out and run routes all the time. And, and he's he's got experience running a diverse route tree as a, as a running back. He can. He can uh, he can go get one on one footballs. He made a hell of a catch in the back right corner of the end zone on a, on a back shoulder throw uh, to, to score the Browns' first touchdown on Sunday. Like he can do it all, man, and he can catch the football up the seams. And if you get him mismatched on linebackers who can't run with him, he's a problem. Uh, the problem for the Browns is they have a quarterback who doesn't love to throw to the running back. So it's 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 a mixed bag there. Baker does not prefer to check it down. It's not in his DNA. And unless they sort of tag it, and or unless he sort of walks into it meaning he's trying to get out of the pocket or do something crazy and he sees that running back it's not going to be something that he's going to be targeting a ton now like you said you know that it's a weakness I'm sure Pittsburgh knows that it's a weakness and I'm sure Cleveland knows that it's a weakness so it might be a point of emphasis this week and he really might try to like if I recall correctly when Cleveland went to Pittsburgh last year Kareem had a receiving touchdown over the middle early in the game I think he had about a 20-yard touchdown catch or something around those around those numbers it's something like that but he, he they'll try to get him out into the middle of the field and try to get him in some mismatches. And uh, 
I expect that to be. I expect that to be a part of things, but yeah, he's unless you just are, are, are folding to the scheme, he's not going to create something out of nothing, out of thin air like Nick Chubb can do. You know, where Nick can make multiple people miss in a compact area, make people miss in a phone booth, as they say. He has that that really unique ability to see holes at the second level. So, um, you know, Kareem, that's a very fair analysis. He's going to try to get you a hundred through the year and yard, you know, and, and catching the football combined and. If you don't account for him enough, he can he can be a real problem in the passing game. Steelers, uh, uh, last year they had one of the best uh, secondaries, but uh, this year so far they're the middle of the pack. They're 18th uh, passing yards allowed, and um, they, they struggled a lot on third down. Uh, you know, the Eagles they were 10 of 14 uh, on third down on Sunday, and uh, uh, for the season they're 28th in a uh, third down defense. Uh, how, how can Baker Mayfield and the Browns receivers with uh, you know, Odell and uh, Landry take advantage of that. Well, the, I'll say this: the, the Browns have been in four games these last four, where they have been up. They've they've been up for a variety of ways. They got up early, whether it's turnovers and they're they're capitalizing on turnovers, or it's run. They've run the football early and they've thrown the football early, but they have not had to throw much in the second the second halves. Like if you look at Baker's attempts, I don't have the digits in front of me from Sports Info Solutions or anything. But I would imagine he's thrown under 10 passes in the fourth quarter. They just have been in situations where they haven't had to throw a ton in the third and fourth quarter. So, um, you know, it's tough to get a full game tell. I certainly think that Baker has been effective on third downs, especially connecting with Jarvis Landry, who's been a big part of their passing game in third down situations. He has a nice, he has a nice rhythm with him and has found him. And I think if, as much as Baker has struggled in, in early down situations, I think he, he's not playing all too well from a clean pocket which is a bit disturbing for Browns fans is he's his passing grades do not look as promising as you would like them to do when he's not pressured, um, you know, and especially in a clean pocket. But, but I think he's been, I, ha- I don't have the data guys. I'm sorry, but I, for my viewing and just me taking in everything all year, I think he's been pretty effective on third and six plus situations throwing. So uh, they don't, they, they, but the thing that makes the, the Browns a unique cover is, Across the field, they have guys who can get open and catch the football. They certainly have Jarvis. They certainly have Odell. They've aligned those guys on the same side of the field multiple occasions this year. It's really what they prefer. And then they have Rashard Higgins, who had a nice week last week. And then you have a, a three a group of three tight ends that they really, really like. Obviously, Austin Hooper has a nice history in the league and has done well for himself, and he's playing well in Cleveland. They have David Njoku, who's finally back from injury. He had a nice little rebound game last week, blocked well. And then they have a young kid named Harrison Bryan. He's number 88. Uh, Mackey Award winner college football last year. He took him in the fourth round. They have played him a ton and aligned him in a bunch of different places that they like him too. And they'll run, you know, 12 personnel and they'll put those two tight ends guys in, in trips three by one formations or in two by two. And it'll look like uh, traditional, you know, spread formations, but they're doing it with tight ends to mix up personnel and make teams keep linebackers on the field to account for the fact that they can put Harrison Bryant in the backfield and run offset eye or true eye formations or single back stuff that will allow for them to, to do a bunch of different things. So Stefanski's really big on mixing up personnel packages and allowing them to get advantages and schemes and in terms of personnel matchups. So uh, I, I think that that's worked to their favor. They found some holes that way, and I expect them to try to continue to do that against a team like Pittsburgh, who we know will heat you up like few others in the league. So they want to get their best guys on the field to open up themselves in some of those uh, man-to-man situations. Well, to also counter a little bit more with the playmakers defensively for for Pittsburgh, they're currently second in interceptions and interception rate, but they give up the most yards for completion at 12.9. 
And when you do check a little bit more of the film with the Steelers, you will see that a lot of those completions, Carson Wentz to Travis Fulgham, were done on third and 10 plus. So Mm -hmm. it could be a very nice game for Baker. But I want to talk specifically about at least one wide receiver that always, for some reason or another, is in the news, and that's Odell Beckham. He came up huge against Dallas, even catching a touchdown pass from Jarvis Landry. And, you know, when the first sign of trouble in Cleveland, there's always been talk about Beckham being moved. So I just want to focus on him a bit. How has he looked to start the season? Well, he looks like the guy they traded for. I, I, there was something going on, hit pointer, uh, some some weird nagging injury that he got surgery on this past offseason, and he looks explosive again. Like he looks like he looks like the guy that was cutting up defenses and making highlight reels in New York. And and as far as his explosion and ability to get in and out of cuts and run away from people, I think he's back to being who we've known him to be. Uh, that which is good, you know, which is obviously a positive. I think he's a little bit frustrated with quarterback play. Uh, we we would say on this end that Baker has been inconsistent in delivering the football where it needs to be delivered. And uh, I think that that has frustrated him a little bit. And I think that, you know, there are guys across the league playmaking guys who are, who are just wired different ways. I think Odell is a guy you got to get going early. You got to get the football in his hands in the first quarter. You got to get him into open space. If you can scheme him open and let him, let him feel like he's the part of the game plan. If you distance him, if you isolate him, if you take him away, he does not feel like part of the game plan, and he has the propensity to drift a little bit, get frustrated, and uh, become more of a problem than a solution. And that's what happened against Baltimore week one. Didn't get any touches in the first quarter. Second quarter, big third and two, he runs a little pivot route and drops it, hits him right in the hand, just drops it. So it's like there's some frustrating things that happen there with him. And I think if you don't get him involved early in some capacity, you know, whether that's a reverse, a quick screen, whatever, I think he gets a little frustrated and down and bogged down by the situation. So I think Stefanski, since week one, has done a pretty nice job getting him schemed open, giving him opportunities, whether it's a reverse like they were doing against Dallas, a reverse pass, getting the football in his hands. Hell, he threw a, he threw a pass off a reverse last week to Austin Hooper. So the Browns have made it. And I know Kyle Shanahan talks about this stuff too, where, you know, trick plays are trick plays, but if they're a part of your everyday solution to offense, they're not a trick play. It's just a part of your scheme. And the Browns do a ton of different stuff like that. They, they're a deception-based offense so they're going to do boot fakes they're going to wide zone and boot back off of it to deceive your eyes you know they're going to test your eye discipline they're going to run reverses they've run a reverse every single week it's a part of who they are they're going to do something fluky with you know a a play action uh reverse and throwing it out of it that's just who they are so teams typically say like okay they ran a trick play they're probably done with those for the game teams like i have one trick play in for the week not the Browns, man. They'll throw anything at you at any time. Tight end screens. They'll throw a bunch of weird stuff at you. So you have to be as a defense prepared for all of it. And I think Kevin Stefanski, based on what I watched him do in Minnesota last year, has has a ton more to offer, especially in screen games. So I think if you know Pittsburgh's an aggressive defense, as they are, and they like to pressure, and they like to put their guys on an island in situations, I think they're going to try to challenge that, and they're going to try to answer it with a ton of screens in situations they feel like are predictable that Pittsburgh will try to come after Baker Mayfield because, you know, this is not an ideal matchup for Baker. He does not handle teams that, 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 that mess with his line of sight and change their defense pre-snap to post-snap and try to trick him in to fire zone situations where, you know, maybe like last year, I, I recall, I'm just, you know, as we talking, I'm just remembering things that Pittsburgh did last year. They, they dropped TJ Watt into a little fire zone last year, almost picked him off. I recall that one pretty well. They'll do that stuff to mess with him. So expect the Browns to try to counterbalance that with as much deception as they possibly can. So, um, it's a different offense than what Pittsburgh has seen from Cleveland for a long time. 
but that uh, that should be a really fun it should be a really fun matchup all around. But Odell, like to answer the crux of your question, Odell is still Odell. They're going to cheat. They're going to keep trying to get him the football in a variety of different ways, and they're going to challenge the top half of Pittsburgh's defense with him too. They've been challenging everybody with Odell off play action, so expect that to be a heavy dose. And I know when Pittsburgh came to Cleveland last year, they beat him over the top with one early in the game, so they'll they'll try to do it. And uh, Mayfield this year has a nine to four uh, touchdown interception ratio and has a quarterback rating of eighty eight point six. He's 23rd in passing yards, 26th in completion percentage, 28th in yards per attempt, and 23rd in passer rating. How have Browns fans and the media felt about Mayfield's performance so far this year in his third year as the, as the starting quarterback? A little uneven. I think people have expected that things might start slow. It's an offense unique to something Baker's never done, dating back to his days in high school Texas football and all the way through Oklahoma. He's never really been an under center, conditionally under center guy who's running a ton of boot fakes and reading levels concepts on the run. That's never really been who he is. So, you know, the going thing around here, guys, is he's had four head coaches and three play callers in in a matter of three years. So it's been a nightmare in that regard. It's been really tough for him to settle in. They think they have something going consistently now with this head coach and play caller uh, who are all in one here with Stefanski. And they think that they have a really nice, you know, offensive coordinator and Alex Van Pelt and quarterback coach who can tie it all together there. And, uh, and work with him to correct a lot of the things that got him to, to lead himself astray in his second season. And they like Bill Callahan up front, too, as the offensive line coach. So they're sort of tying it all together. But it's been a slow start for Baker. But it's not been a slow start, guys, in terms of, of what they're asking him to do. They are really treating him with kid gloves right now. Like, they're running the football so well that they haven't had to force the throw. Like, you know, people will talk about 26 and receiving yards. And all that stuff is factual. There's no doubt about that but they haven't really been forced to throw it other than week one where they look like a mess all around. Uh, and I think DVOA pointed out that there was the biggest discrepancy between the team uh, team who's won four games or three games in their, one of their lost performances, how bad they played week one. It was just a nightmare, but he, they have not in the four game winning streak. He hasn't been asked to throw a ton. He hasn't been asked to throw a ton in the second half because they've been ahead by so much early and they certainly haven't put a ton of weight on his shoulders in the first half until last week. Now, last week, I thought he played a pretty good first half, was up to 235 yards in the first half, and had thrown for a couple touchdowns as Cleveland went up 20-10. to 10. He's still inconsistent in working from his first read to his second read, feeling comfortable, feeling calm. The way you know Ben Roethlisberger to be just this savant in the backfield, man, where he can shift his weight and work left or right and never have a problem with his feet and his eyes going crazy. He handles pressure the way you would love to see everybody handle pressure, but not every guy does. And Baker's really struggling handling that pressure, the idea that he has to work from his first read to his second read to his third read without having that urge to run out of the pocket or bail clean pockets. So we're, we're seeing him really emphasize staying in the pocket, trying to drive forward. It's a big thing they're teaching him, preaching with him, and uh, it's it's hit or miss so far. It's been inconsistent in terms of finding alleys to throw the football. Uh, the good guys who are shorter in nature can find those alleys. The Breeze, the, the Russell Wilsons, they find those arm slot angles to still deliver the football. He's been a little bit high, which is never good. Never good, especially against a defense as good as Pittsburgh. So he's got to really try to fight that. He got lucky a couple times last week. So look, to, I, I'm going on and on. As I break them down on YouTube every week. I think he's playing okay. I think he's playing okay. I think there's there certainly needs to be more consistency from him. There needs to be more, um, you know, capitalizing on opportunities that are presented in front of him. And I certainly think he, if he, if the Browns are going to be the question you asked earlier about a consistent playoff team, a team this year who can get to the playoffs, he's got to be better than what he's been so far. So hopefully, as he gets more comfortable in this offense, he will find levels of uh, of comfort there. 
On the defensive side of the ball, it all starts with Miles Garrett, who's off to another great start with six sacks and six tackles for a loss to lead the team through the first five games. He's he's a surefire defensive player of the year candidate and at this per- early portion of the season. It'll be interesting to see how it's either Alejandro Villanueva, or but I've seen on Twitter, some people believe it's going to be Chuck Sakuraflor that will be lining up alongside him. But with Villanueva, he's performed well against the pass. It's going to be interesting to see a core for. But what makes Garrett such a great pass rusher? That's a good question. He He's just a different breed of athlete. Like he's, he's just a, he's a rare blend of speed and power that you just don't see. Like, you know, for, for what, Von Miller can do to turn the edge guys. You know how it is. You've seen the tapes. He, he, he has that ability to dip and bend and, and a mixture of, of a power defensive end, like a Daniel Hunter, he combines the best of both worlds where he can beat you by turning the corner because of a long stride and the ability and the flexibility that is rare for a man, his size. But if you want to cheat and play him upfield, he will bull rush right through your chest and he will end up in the backfield. So like he put it all on display last week. He, he beat, in the first quarter, he beat um, – and, and listen, who he played, LaRaven Clark, is not a phenomenal player. He abused him, but it was just sort of who he is. So he can beat – and he beat LaRaven Clark for a first quarter sack just all the way around the corner, staying low, dip and tuck in the corner, and uh, and playing through the quarterback. He can also, if you if you have a chance to go back and watch Colts game, he, he just absolutely barrels through the chest of him and causes a, a throwaway safety, um, you know, intentional grounding in the end zone. He can do it all, and that's what makes him tough is – you know, with most defensive ends, you can play them for some sort of singular strength. You know, you can play a guy and anchor him well when you know he's going to bull rush you, or you can you can certainly kick step and hit your drop point more aggressively if you know it's a guy who just naturally wants to rip that arm and turn the turn the corner on the edge. But you can't cheat, guys. Like if you cheat one way or the other, it's going to cause Miles to. And he's a cerebral player too. He's not a. He's, he's a guy who's extremely sharp between the ears, man, and he, he knows how to adjust on the fly. And I think that's what's going extremely well for him is he's, he's now developed into not just a skilled athletic freak of nature at the position, but he now understands the little nuances of the position and he has added moves to his, 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 his I guess, repertoire there of, of pass rush ability. Like he, he can spin move, he can club rip, he can turn the corner with a natural dip, or he can put the left arm out and long arm you and put you into your quarterback's lap. So he can do it all. I, I think right now he's peaked in terms of figuring this whole thing out. He's, he's peaked from a physical and mental standpoint. He's hungry. He's embarrassed by the situation that happened with Pittsburgh and Cleveland last year, hungry to prove himself in the league, put his name back in the name of names. He thinks it should be long in. And, um, you know, it's no secret just as Pittsburgh has circled this game for a rematch. I know Miles has circled the game, too. He wants to put on a show. So I would tell anybody that does not have a, a Bakhtiari or a Teron Armstrong, somebody like that anchoring a left tackle or right tackle, because they'll move him everywhere, guys. They'll play him in the left end. They'll play him at the right end. They'll put him at D tackle. They move that dude everywhere, and he can thrive anywhere. So they'll move him everywhere. If you have a weakness somewhere, they're going to put him there and he's going to expose that person. So you better have the thing he's doing is if you don't adjust your game plan and commit a tight end to him or a running back 
committed to helping that person, he's going to bite you. He's going to force some your quarterback off of their spot. He's going to force them to speed up their thought process. And it's rare, like the Aaron Donald types, where you find a guy who, despite the talent around him, is not that great. Like Olivier Vernon's okay, but he's been beat up. Adrian Claiborne is an old guy who's dealing with a groin. You know, Sheldon Richardson is is fine. He's an above average defensive tackle, but he's not great by any stretch, and he's playing hard. And they miss Larry Ogunjobi a little bit too. So he's not playing with premier talent around him, and he is still changing games. So you better commit somebody to him. That's all I'm going to say. Most teams are even trying it, and it's not working. So uh, he's a real fear monger among this among the the NFL defensive line groups right now. And and uh, if he plays at his best in any given game, he can completely change an offense. And at the bare minimum take away some of your weapons, whether that's keeping a tight end in or keeping uh, somebody else committed to him all the time. It just changes. Offenses have to change how they game plan right now. And uh, Garrett, you know, also has uh, three forced fumbles, uh, two recoveries on the season. And uh, this Cleveland defense uh, currently leads the league in takeaways with 12, six of those being interceptions and have a plus six turnover margin in uh, 2020. A large m- amount of the turnovers has been huge for the defense. But they rank 21st, and uh, I guess total defense and points are their 25th. Uh, you know, against the Cowboys a couple of weeks ago, Dak Prescott threw 502 yards and uh, gave up uh, the defense. The Browns gave up 38 points. Uh, they they won the game, however. So so what has been uh, the overall feeling on the defense? Uh, has it been kind of a mixed bag? Yeah, I think your your numbers analysis really sums it up, man. Like they have some players that they consider to be very good football players, Miles, Denzel Ward, their opposite corner, Terrence Mitchell, who has stepped in for Greedy Williams, who's on IR this year. Uh, is Terrence Mitchell's playing great football. So they're two outside corners and their they're interior um, – uh, sorry, I shouldn't say interior. Their up-front defensive line has played strong football. Their linebacking situation and their safety situation are kind of a mess. They're, they're playing two guys, B.J. Goodson – and uh, Malcolm Smith, Malcolm Smith from way back that Eagle or sorry, that Seahawks Super Bowl, that same linebacker won the MVP has been in and out of situations the next year. He's playing pretty well, all things considered, but they're just not wholly talented at linebacker, especially coverage wise. And then safety has been just 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 been a mess. They, they've had Anderson Deho being forced to play because Grant Delpit tears his Achilles leading into the year. The safety they took at the LSU in the second round, who they had really high hopes for. So Delpit tears his Achilles, forces and Deho to play a ton, and um, it's just it's just Andrews not that guy anymore, and it's forced him into to some coverage situations that teams have abused. And then the strong safety rule has been Carl Joseph, who left out of Oakland, didn't get another contract there has been a mixed bag in terms of his ability to, to consistently play in coverage. He's more of a hitting type, likes to play forward. Um, he's dealing with, a, I think, a hamstring or groin issue of his own. Kept him out last week. They played Ronnie Harrison. Uh, Ronnie Harrison they traded for from Jacksonville, another strong safety type. Uh, played pretty well last week. Had a pick six, played real well, but then leaves late in the game with a concussion. He's questionable to doubtful for this weekend. So it's looking like it might be Sandejo and a young – uh, player, a second-year player, Sheldrick Redwine, who they took in the fourth round out of Miami a couple of years ago. Redwine did have a nice 19 snaps, graded really highly, uh, but had not played a single defensive down before that. So they did not really trust him with Joe Woods this year, and and certainly uh, and then Redwine had an interception. So maybe it's a breakthrough situation for them. But guys, with with Ben and the way the wide receivers are playing in Pittsburgh right now, they have an advantage. There's no doubt in throwing the football, they have an advantage. Teams have been picking up them apart uh, in, in the interior uh, safety and linebacker. That's what Dak did. Jack, you know, Dak just abused 
the Browns interior pass coverage picked him apart all game. And then the same thing happened with Joe Burrow. He kind of just picked his spots and, and whether it was tight ends or slot receivers, because they're playing Kevin Johnson in the slot. Who's finally back. He had a lacerated kidney uh, in the preseason and missed a lot of time, but just kind of has started to come back. So it's a mixed bag. I mean, they, they've, they've done a great job generating turnovers and a large portion of those turnovers, I think have come from pressures from miles Garrett that have forced those turnovers, whether it's a strip sack or forcing a quarterback off of their spot and, and generating a pressure and a turnover comes from that pressure. So he's doing those things that are helping and they're, they're being opportune. They're making some plays, but they will give up yards. And, and there's no doubt about that. I do think they played Dallas better than what the numbers tell you. The second and, they shut Dallas out in the second and third quarters before the fourth quarter prevent. It was 41 to 14 and they got on their heels and allowed Dallas to just kind of prevent defense stuff. Very lackadaisical cover three, cover four, pick them up and down the field. Uh, but they held Indy to 308 last week. They're defending the run really well. I'll give them credit there. They're taking away run game stuff largely because they're getting out in front of people early and not really having to deal with the run a ton, but they are playing sound run defense. But, you know, Ben's much better than Phillip and I think he has – clearly a better receiving situation than what's going on in Indy too. So I'm sure Pittsburgh's looking at this and seeing plenty of opportunities to throw the football. So uh, Cleveland, just to, to summarize, Cleveland's defense has been capitalizing on turnover opportunities, giving up yards, but have been capitalizing and winning the turnover battles. So uh, the, the big thing for Cleveland is staying on top of and out in front of turnover battles. And I think that's how their defense has been able to survive so far. Well, it's going to be interesting in that point because so far Ben Roethlisberger for a guy that's off of a major elbow surgery, I mean, you can't really ask more. Ten touchdowns, one interception, that's on average with a four-game season, 12 games left, that's 40 touchdowns, four interceptions, and this is a guy that's led the league, so that's especially great by him. But the the pass defense, though, somehow is ranked 30th in – and Greedy Williams hasn't played a game all year, the second-year corner from LSU. Just how has the loss of Williams affected that pass defense? I, it's, I don't think it has. I, mean, I know that's a terrible answer, but like Terrence Mitchell's played fine. They played Greedy opposite Denzel, and he was very average his rookie season. And I think Terrence Mitchell's played really good football for them. I think he's been fine. I don't think Greedy Williams has impacted them. What I think is going on, guys, is a lack of – communication they've had busted coverages almost every single week where a guy is running deep down the middle of the field essentially wide open so they're busting coverages and teams are picking on and teams are throwing it a ton like they're the browns have been playing from in front a ton and it's putting them in situations where their defense is just getting exposed uh and, and really getting tired because they're playing a ton of pass downs like they're they're trying to run on substitutions up front to generate some more pressure but you know, they're playing out in front 27-10, 27-7. They're just, they're just facing teams that are throwing the football a ton on them. And, and, and at the end of the day, if your run defense is pretty solid, I mean, it's, there's different formulas for winning, and I don't always mind. If you're forcing teams to throw the football a ton, it's probably because you found a way to get out in front of almost everybody. So it's not that bad. But uh, it's listen, it's a leaky secondary. There's no doubt about it. You can pick on them at linebacker. Ebron can pick on them. They can put – uh, Claypool, wherever they want to put him in the slot, they can put him out wide. He can put Juju in the slot. They're going to have a ton of situations where they have the advantage, skill talent wise, matched up against Cleveland. It's just, can Cleveland take away Ben's first or second read and then force him to have to sit and hold the ball a little bit and allow them to get home? So that's the big challenge, especially for Joe Woods, is how do I take away what Pittsburgh wants to do 
off of rhythm, right? Off of the three-step drop, off the five-step drop. How do I take that away? So that gives us a little bit of time before he gets to another open area and allows 95 or, or somebody to stunting. Cleveland does a lot of twisting up front. They'll you know, twist those defensive tackles. They'll do DN, a D tackle twist. They'll try to confuse offensive lines and try to create pressure without actually blitzing. They don't blitz a ton. So um, they'll do some different things. But I know a big part of Joe Wood's focal point is getting the front four home. And how do they do that? They try to get after people to make a quarterback have to hang on to the football just a little bit longer than he wants to hold on to it. So if they're able to do that, uh, it'll be it'll be in Cleveland's favor just a little bit. But we all know Ben's special. He's able to avoid sacks. We, hell, we've been seeing it for 20 years, guys. We know it. So it's just a matter of of, uh, of finding a way to 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 make Ben you know confuse him as as best they can confuse him and and uh, hope for the best and hope that Cleveland can put up some points. And listen, I've been saying this this for the whole week. This is a terrible matchup for Cleveland. It's just like the quarterback does not handle how Pittsburgh plays defense well. And, and, and the Browns' propensity to leave the middle of the field vulnerable, and especially with against a quarterback who can, from the pocket, extend plays the way we all know Ben can, um, it's certainly a game that I just don't feel all too comfortable about. Um, so I, I certainly think Pittsburgh has philosophical advantages and sort of personnel advantages that play to their strengths. So um, I expect Ben and, and his receivers to, even if they – somehow turn the ball over a few times they'll still get their yards i i feel that that'll be that'll be for certain who do you recommend the browns to put on for each like each corner safety linebacker for each weapon the steelers have like what's the best possible matchups for cleveland i mean if they're playing i haven't watched pittsburgh a ton enough to know if they're playing a lot of 11 if they're playing they have four good receivers or they play in 10 personnel like they're going to consistently play kevin johnson in the slot he can, he's pretty solid. I mean, he can handle things decently, but I mean, like Denzel is not going to travel with somebody. So if Juju's in the slot, he's not going to go in the slot with him. He's not a shadow guy. He's an outside right side corner. He's going to cover who's over there. James Washington, whoever's they put out, they're going to cover him. And they don't care. Their, their defense isn't predicated on matchups. I, I think that some defenses do focus on that. It doesn't feel like Cleveland will do a ton of that. They'll play a lot of nickel. They'll play some sub package dime stuff. And the, but, but I, like I said, Pittsburgh will have, they'll have opportunities over the middle of the field to isolate, you know, if they want to isolate Claypool, if they want to isolate, you know, Juju inside against Johnson and working on over routes across the safety's face, they're going to have throws. Like there's just Cleveland's personnel is not as good a football players as Pittsburgh's is as far as skill talent goes on that side of the ball. So I have a lame answer. I don't have a good answer. I just don't, I don't see them tweaking how they generally approach things. They're going to try to, like I said, they're not going to play a ton of man. They don't play a ton of man. They're going to play, they're going to play heavy zone. Um, and I, I, maybe this is a week they really turn the corner and start blitzing and getting after a quarterback. They have not communicated well, like I said, a lot of busted coverages. So in that, in that realm comes the idea that we don't feel comfortable blitzing a ton because it's going to leave a lot of holes in the secondary. So, um, you know, Pittsburgh has, has consistently played the same defense for so long. That they're comfortable and it didn't matter to them coming into the year that they couldn't get a ton of ball in the time, you know, time on the field. It mattered for Cleveland. Like they're trying to implement a whole new scheme on both sides of the ball. And the defense is just behind secondary play is just behind. So they've been very vanilla back there guys. So I think, like I said, Pittsburgh's going to have opportunities to score. It, it probably boils down to how well Cleveland can move the football and score on the other side of the field. Yeah. Jay, you, you kind of addressed, uh, you know, what, what's your biggest concern for the Browns? Uh, in, in this matchup against the Steelers. But um, who, do, who do you think will have a big game against uh, Pittsburgh? Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, I, I don't think I don't see any reason Miles won't make an impact. I don't know if he changes the game, but I don't see a way in which he, 
he's shut down. I just I think he matches up too well uh, with what Pittsburgh likes to do, and I think he'll get home a few times on that side of the football. I mean, offensively, Pittsburgh plays really good defense, so it's hard for me to predict. I think Jarvis tends to have a pretty good game against Pittsburgh. He's able to find some voids in coverage, and I think Baker prefers on scramble drills and situations where Pittsburgh you know, has him rattled and he has to force himself out of the pocket. He's, uh, he's able to move out of the pocket a little bit too. But, you know, if I had to gun to my head, pick a player that I think has a pretty good game against Pittsburgh, it's probably Kareem because I think he's going to get a ton of targets in the screen game. I think he'll get plenty of running opportunities. And I also think they'll try to isolate him on some linebackers uh, in certain situations too. So if I, I'm, listen, I, I hate predicting stuff. I'm not good at this guy, <laughs> but if I had to predict, I would predict him. And then the safest prediction right now is just how well miles is playing that he's going to have some kind of impact on that other side of the football. I will say too, something to note, and I don't know what the weather looks like up in Pittsburgh this weekend or whatever is that, is that, uh, you know, Cleveland's kickoff coverage is terrible. It's, it's absolutely flat out terrible. They gave up a kick return touchdown last week. They, uh, the opening week gave up two returns that crossed the 40 yard line against Baltimore. So if Cleveland is not able to kick the football out of the end zone, uh, look for that to be a part of the game where I'm sure Pittsburgh is chomping at the bit to make a big impact on kick return uh, against Pittsburgh because they are just flat out struggling. So they brought in uh, Cody Parkey, who's done a really great job on, since week two. They brought him in week three and has been kicking the football well, PAT-wise uh, and field goal-wise, but has, has had some situations where he didn't get the football out of bounds deep uh, because of the wind in Cleveland, and it's given them some headaches. It's a terrible unit for them. So just a little sidebar there for, for fans to pay attention to. It's been 10 years since the Steelers had a kickoff return for a touchdown, and that's going to be interesting. We kind of we kind of hyped up Ray Ray McLeod a little bit on the uh, review podcast, but I, I want to ask this. W- what's been the reaction around town? Like, you mentioned a little bit, like, especially with, with Kareem Hunt actually had a few choice words about, like, the entire, like, having Miles' back because he has our back, and, you know, everything with the Mason-Rudolph situation, which barring absolute catastrophe from here from when we record this to Sunday is probably you're gonna have no effect on the game but have you been like listening to like Cleveland radio stations and stuff like that what have you been hearing I don't think it's anything out of the ordinary I mean Cleveland hates Pittsburgh and I think Pittsburgh views Cleveland football as just sort of a a two-game wins every year on the schedule it's one of those rivalries like Ohio State Michigan has turned into where Michigan takes it serious and Ohio State's just kind of like yeah sure sounds good man it just is the fact of the matter until Cleveland actually plays competitive football over the course of several different years. It's just, it's just not a rivalry. It's just, it's just flat out, not a rivalry. Cleveland hasn't won in Heinz field in 16 years or something stupid. Like it's just ridiculous how long it's been since Cleveland's made this a real rivalry. So yeah, they won a game last year, whatever, but it, you know, Ben wasn't playing. It just didn't really feel right. So um, you know, this is, this is fun. I mean, everyone's excited for it. They're pumped up because the Browns are four and one, and this is a game that actually matters a Pittsburgh Cleveland game that feels like it matters. And I don't know how long it's been since we've seen one of these that actually matter. So everyone's excited. I know miles is eager. He's keeping his words at bay and all that stuff, but, but he's really eager to, uh, to, to get out there and prove himself. And I know it's not going to be, I don't know if it's Pittsburgh is letting some fans into the stadium, kind of like Ohio, Ohio is allowing stadiums to have about 16 K. I'm not sure where, where Pennsylvania is, but um, I'm sure he's eager to get out in front of Pittsburgh fans and, 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 and feed off a little bit of that stuff too, because um, you know, he's he, much like LeBron didn't like to be hated. Miles doesn't love to be hated either, but he sort of has, has, uh, has thrived on a little bit of the hatred that he received in terms of, um, 
you know, what happened last year and the perception around what happened last year. So I hope nothing stupid happens. I don't think anything stupid would happen in that regard, but uh, he'll be eager. The team will be eager to get out there. And, and I, I know that Cleveland's been thriving on that underdog nature too this whole season too. People discounting them, discrediting them. It's been a big MO for them and they're heavy underdogs in this game. And it's not for the wrong reasons. Pittsburgh's playing great football. So I'm sure there's a quiet hunger going on behind closed doors. They had a 5,500 fan last Sunday for the Eagles game, and uh, the same amount will be allowed for uh, this game on Sunday against the Browns. So all, all of the lower bowl there uh, at Heinz Field uh, fans will be there. But I'm sure, uh, you know, if they could, uh, you know, get in some type of closeness to uh, Miles Garrett, I'm sure they'll let them hear about it or whatever. And it's always just funny, too, like – in a packed house, you don't hear everybody's comments, but 5,000 people, you're going to hear some choice words yeah, yeah, whether you definitely. want to or not, man. So, yeah, there'll, there'll be some hatred going on. And that's, you know, it's just the nature of the situation and what happened last year. And, you know, people are going to feel how they want to feel about it. And that's not my place to comment on. So, like I said, you know, it's a situation that's moved on. Everybody's hopefully moved on from it. But I do think Miles hasn't seen Pitt. He didn't get to play that second game. So he's going to be hungry to, uh, to get that opportunity to show up and show out. And that's Jake Burns, film analyst and writer for the Orange and Brown Report. Jake, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, guys, my pleasure, and uh, hopefully everybody has fun Sunday. Before we close, I'm going to talk to you guys about BetOnline.ag. I really hope that you have by now gone there and taken advantage of that welcome bonus, the, op- the awesome opportunities that I think they have for you from game spreads, totals, team, player, coaching props, whatever it is, parlays, whatever you're into, they give you the options to wager more than anyone else out there. You can get your... Season opening bonuses today, still, they're still available. You can wager on wins, divisions, championship lines, player lines, all of the all of the good stuff is still available for you. And week to week, it's fun It's fun as well. So, uh, And I should mention, too, Blackjack Poker, 24 hours, always there. Head to BetOnline AG today. Take advantage of the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. It's at BetOnline.ag, BLUEWIRE, all one word, promo code. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So that's a wrap on today. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, everything leading into this game. There, there's a ton of great data out there at the OBR that we put up. I'm going to put up something on Malcolm Smith today, who I think is kind of an underrated hero in that linebacker room and the defense in, in general. So uh, take, a, take a look at that if you can. Wrote up the All-22 notes yesterday for subscribers of the OBR. Again, if you are not a subscriber, I encourage you to do so. Just $1 for your first month to give us a try and see if we are of value to you. I think you will prove uh, we will prove to you that we are a value and uh, the best in the business and covering the, the Cleveland Browns from, a, from an altogether perspective. So uh, give us a chance. I hope you do. And I hope you're subscribing to this and you've left us a review. I always appreciate that stuff. And you're checking out the weekly Baker Mayfield YouTube videos that we're doing to try to uh, cover how the season's going for him, kind of giving live analysis and thought process and all that stuff. It's always fun and interactive, and I hope you can check it out. So until we meet next time, guys, we'll come back with a recap of the Pittsburgh game Sunday. And, um, you know, all the good stuff. And maybe we'll be talking about another Victory Monday. That'd be five in a row. And that'd be crazy. So we'll hope that comes to fruition. Until then, go Browns. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.